As we've been doing these last weeks and even months on Wednesday nights, we're going to continue to look at, at some of the prayers that are found in Scripture, although technically really today's passage isn't a prayer in and of themselves, but instead we'll look at two passages in which, at least in part, Jesus will give us some instruction about prayer. Um, Two weeks ago, uh, we considered at our first Sunday of Advent how God is the God of hope who gives hope. Last week, we learned that he's the Lord of peace and the God of peace who gives to us the peace of God. And today we'll learn that it's through Jesus that we can have joy and have it to the full. And don't you want that? Don't you desire that? Don't you desire joy? Especially in this difficult year of 2020, this year when so much has been lost, this this year with so much death, with so much fear, with so much unrest. There's so much sorrow in the world and even in our lives. But Scripture reminds us that although there, there is so much trouble in our world and even in our lives, we can take heart and we can even have joy because Jesus has overcome the world. And because Jesus is the source of our joy. God is the God of all comfort who comforts us. 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4. God is the God of hope who gives us joy and peace, which enables us to abound in hope. Romans 15, 13. He's the God of endurance and encouragement, whose encouragement enables us to endure. Romans 15, 5. And he is the God of peace who gives to us the peace of God, Philippians 4, 7 and 9, and 2 Thessalonians 3, 16. And as we'll see in our passage today, Jesus is also the source of the Christian's joy. So let's look at our passage today. And again, our passage, the first passage that that we'll look at is John 16, verses 16 through 24. But before we read God's word, let's ask for God's help. Pray with me, please. Lord, we pray that you would show us wonderful things from this portion of your holy word. And Lord, we ask that you would give us a measure of your spirit so that we might rightly understand that which you teach us here in this portion of your word. And Father, we ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Again, I'll begin reading in verse 16 of John chapter 16. This is God's holy, living, and inerrant word. Jesus speaks to his disciples and says, A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me, and again in a little while you will see me, and because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, What does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, 
Is this what you are asking yourselves, what I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Okay, so so Jesus promises us here that he will bring his disciples joy. And that their joy will be made full. But how does he do that? How does Jesus bring joy? Well, in this passage, Jesus tells us that he brings us joy through his resurrection. Because that's what Jesus is speaking of in these verses when he talks about in a little while you will, not, you, you will not see me. Then again in a little while you will then see me again. And in verse 20, you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. These words of Jesus, he's telling his disciples these things just prior to him being arrested on the night before he was betrayed, on the night that he was betrayed, the night before he was crucified. He says to them in verse 22, you will have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will ever be able to take your joy away from you. Jesus brings joy through his resurrection. And imagine that sense of joy that the disciples had in that day. Imagine that nearly incomprehensible sense of joy that the disciples experienced that first Easter morning. Friends, the resurrection of Jesus should bring you and I a similar sense of joy. And that joy should be a joy that can never be taken away from you, according to what Jesus tells us in this passage here. Jesus brings joy through his resurrection. Jesus also brings joy through prayer. And we see that in verses 23 through 24. Look there, if you will. He says, in that day, meaning after this happens, after you, you don't see me for a while and then you do see me again, in that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. 
Now, in, in this passage, Jesus tells his disciples, and he tells us also, that our joy will be made full as we pray to the Father in his name. Why? Why would praying in the name of Jesus, praying to the Father in his name, why would that bring us joy? What's the significance of our doing that? Well, before the cross, when Jesus was with his people, before the cross, the followers of Jesus, they didn't have that privilege of praying to the Father in Jesus' name. But on this side of the cross, on this side of the resurrection, we do have that privilege. And Jesus tells us here that praying in the name of Jesus will bring us joy and will bring it to the full. You see, when Jesus was with them, the disciples' prayer life really wasn't what it should be. Why would that be? Well, because they didn't have to go to God with their requests, with their questions, with their petitions. Because what did they do instead? They went to Jesus. And they would say, Jesus, explain this to us. Jesus, help me understand this. Jesus, can you, can you help me here? Can you, can you do this for me? But now, Jesus now tells them that they will soon be able to take their requests directly to their Father in heaven. And he suggests that it's better that way. That, it, that in some way, doing that, taking their requests to the Father in his name, will bring joy. What's up with that? What, what about this matter of praying in Jesus' name, and why should that bring joy to the heart and the soul of a believer? What does it mean to do that? What does it mean for us to pray in the name of Jesus? And how can that help us to have a greater sense of joy? Well, praying in the name of Jesus means many things. Let's consider just a couple of those things this morning. First, praying in Jesus' name means that we bring our prayers to the Father, not upon the basis of our merit, but we bring our prayers to the Father on the basis of the merit of Jesus Christ. God doesn't answer our prayer based upon our virtue but based upon the virtue of Christ. The great English preacher Charles Spurgeon said this about the importance of our being able to pray to the Father in Jesus' name, and, and I've shared this with you before. Spurgeon said, I'm afraid that we do not understand what it is that we have at our command when we are allowed to plead with God in Christ's name. When we ask God to hear us, in the name of Christ, we should mean, Lord, your dear Son deserves this of you. Do this unto me because of what he merits. Spurgeon goes on to say that, that it's as, as if a rich man has given you a blank check to which he signed his name. 
And this man has instructed his banker to pay to whomever you select whatever amount of money you write in. The rich man has declared to his banker that his good credit is to cover whatever that person might desire. That's what it means when he says that we can go to the Father and ask him for anything in his name. When we take our honorable request to the Father, it's as if Jesus himself is making that very request of his Father. Spurgeon concludes with the words, O waver not, and let not your faith stagger. When you plead the name of Christ, you plead that which shakes the gates of hell and which the hosts of heaven obey. And God himself feels the sacred power of that divine plea. So praying in the name of Jesus means that we pray based upon the merits of Christ. Praying in Jesus' name also means that we pray based upon the character and the objectives of Christ. And what this means is, is that we're to ask what Jesus would want us to ask for ourselves. That we don't just take our own self-centered desires to the Lord. Because first and foremost, prayer isn't a means by which we get God to give us what we want. But instead, prayer is the means by which God conforms us to the image of Christ. Prayer is the means by which God works in us to do what he wants for us. And so when our prayers are in line with God's sovereign purposes in our lives, the Lord will grant those prayers. And it's on that basis then that Jesus says to us in verse 24, ask and you will receive. And it's on that basis that he'll give us joy and our joy will be full. So Jesus brings us joy through the resurrection and he brings us joy through prayer. He also brings us joy through our being able to pray specifically in his name. He brings us joy as we bring our request to the Father on the basis of his merit, his character, his life. Let's now consider our, our second passage this morning to, to help us learn how it is that Jesus brings joy. And that second passage is John 15, verses 7 through 11. So look at that if you would. Jesus, again, telling his disciples on the night before he would go to the cross, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. 
So again, Jesus promises us that, that as we live in the manner in which he and the Father desire for us to live as his disciples, that we'll have joy and that we'll have it to the full. So let's continue to ask that question. How is it, based upon this passage of Scripture, how is it, based upon the authority of God's holy word, that Jesus brings joy? Well, in this second passage, we see first that we will have joy as we abide in him. The Christian, the man or woman, boy or girl, whose Lord is Jesus, is intended, were created, were redeemed so that we might abide in him. That's our purpose. The Christian has been brought into union with Christ. And because of our union with Christ, every spiritual blessing is now ours in Christ Jesus, according to Ephesians chapter 1 and elsewhere. And those spiritual blessings that we receive as we abide in Jesus are our source of joy. Jesus brings us joy as we abide in him. Jesus also brings us joy as we abide specifically in his love. Two times in this passage, Jesus invites us to do that. Two times in this passage, he invites us to know the joy that it is to abide in his love. And he tells us in verse 9 that as the Father loves him, in that same way, Jesus loves those who follow him. Here I'm reminded of the words of Jeremiah 31.3, where the Lord tells his people, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And of course, the words of John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. Jesus invites us to know the joy, to experience the joy for ourselves personally of abiding in his love and in the Father's love. And for the person who does that, fullness of joy will be the result. And I pray that you know that joy. We will also, this passage tells us, as that first passage does, that we'll know joy as we pray. He told us that in John 16, and he tells us very much that same thing here, that it's through prayer and it's as we pray that the Father will give us much joy. As Jesus tells us here in, in verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. We will receive joy from the Lord as the Lord blesses our prayers as we abide in him. Jesus also brings joy into the life of the believer as we bear much fruit and as the Father is glorified through our lives. We see this in verse 8 when Jesus says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. This is one of the main reasons that we've been redeemed by the Lord to bring God glory, 
Westminster Catechism number one, what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Our joy, our enjoyment of life, our enjoyment of God comes to us again as we're conformed into the image of Christ and as we bring glory to God through our lives, through the way in which we live through living in such a way that Jesus refers to here in this passage of bearing much fruit. We bring glory to God as the fruit of righteousness is produced in our lives. And as the fruit of the Spirit is produced in us through the ongoing, redeeming, sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, including according to Galatians 5.22 and 23, the fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. We will have joy in our lives as we glorify God in the way in which we live and as we bear much fruit, including that spiritual fruit of joy as we walk by and as we live in the power of the Spirit of Christ. Jesus brings us joy as we prove to be his disciples, Jesus says in this passage. Jesus brings us joy as his word abides in us, he says in verse 7. And as we keep his commandments, he tells us in verse 10. Here I think of Romans 8, 12 through 16. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the Spirit, and if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Jesus brings joy to the heart of the Christian. As we, rather than living to satisfy the desires of the flesh, we live according to the desires of the Spirit. And empowered by the Spirit, we seek to obey the commandments of Christ. And as we do that, we will experience much joy rather than heartache and misery. So those are just a few of the many ways that that Jesus brings us joy. And at this Christmas time, we remember also how Jesus brought joy into the world in his first advent, in his first coming. We remember the angel's announcement, which Steve and Cindy read, of the joy of his birth. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy joy that will be for all people for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. We remember the joy that the Son brought to the heart of the Father as the Father declared after Christ's baptism, this is my beloved Son 
in whom I take much joy, in whom I am well pleased. We think of the joy that Christ's teaching brought to his people as he proclaimed the truths of God and spoke of the Father's love for them. And of course, Jesus brought joy into the world and into the the lives of his people as he healed them of their diseases and as he forgave their sins and as he showed them and as he showed us also what it looks like to honor God with one's life. And Jesus brought joy, even though it was mixed with great, great sorrow, when he endured the cross, scorning its shame, counting that even as a joy, according to Hebrews 12, 2, because of how that sacrifice saved his people from their sins. And of course, as we've already mentioned we have that nearly incomprehensible joy that he brought into the hearts of his disciples following his resurrection. Jesus brought much joy into the world at his first coming. But Jesus will also bring great joy to the hearts of all of his followers at his second coming when we will see him again. And for us, when we will see him face to face for that first time. Whether that be on this side of our natural death, or whether he comes before we experience death. Whenever that may be that we first are welcomed into his presence, can you imagine what that will be like? And can you imagine that sense of joy that you will have when you lay eyes upon this one who gave himself to save you? Imagine what that experience will be like for your heart. That, friends, will bring joy and joy to the full. And it's in his second coming also when Jesus will achieve that final victory over sin and death and Satan. And he'll set all things right again. And he'll bring us to live with him in the new heavens and the new earth where we will dwell bodily with God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and all of God's redeemed people. And there will be no more sin. There'll be no more corruption. But all will be right again. And neither you, nor I, nor anyone else who is, in, who is present in that new heavens and new earth will ever again sin against you, a loved one of yours, or the Lord, or even yourself. Can you imagine what that existence will be like. Friends, that joy will be yours if you follow Jesus faithfully for a lifetime. That joy is worth it. That joy is an eternal joy. That joy is so much 
more great, so much more profound than any temporary joy that this world may hold out to you. Keep your eyes set upon eternity. Keep your hearts set upon Jesus. Do you know this kind of joy? Do you know this kind of joy that Jesus speaks of here? A joy to the full. And a joy that isn't just a fleeting joy, but is a joy that can't be taken from you. The Lord desires for you to know that. Now our faith wavers. Our joy wavers. But the God of endurance desires for you to have an enduring sense of joy. Again, a sense of joy that is found in Him and in His promises as you and I abide in Him and in His love and in the Father's love. I think of of the words of Romans 15.4, which we've considered a time or two over these past couple of weeks, as a way for us to remember. Because, friends, one of the keys to the Christian life is that we do that, that we remember. Remember whose we are. Remember his covenantal promises. Remember what he has done for us. Remember what he has promised is true. Remember what he has promised he will do for us. So we, we remember the words of Romans 15, 4, which tell, tell us that what was written in the former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. And so we read God's word, not, not just as, as some onerous task, but we read his words so we remember who he is. And so we'd remember his mighty deeds of salvation. Remember his love. Remember the hope that is yours through faith in Christ Jesus. Fix your eyes upon him as we're encouraged to do so in Hebrews 12.2. Do also what what Paul calls us to do in Colossians 3, that we're to seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are here on earth. For you have died, Paul says, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You have died, and your life is now abiding with Christ hidden with Christ in God. And as Christ has reminded us in these passages, again, we abide in him. We abide in his love. And that's not just something that we do in our own strength. That's an action that is done to us. It's it's called a a middle voice in in the Greek. It's something that is both... done to us or for us, and also something that we experience as well. The Holy Spirit causes us to abide in Christ, but then we apply ourselves through the spiritual disciplines of abiding in Christ as well, of making use of those spiritual practices. 
Friends, ask whatever you want in His name, and your Father in heaven will give you all that is good for you and for your salvation, so that your joy may be full. Pray with me. Let's do that now. Lord God, Jesus says, ask for anything in His name, and you will do it. Lord, that's a blank checkbook, it seems. Lord, it's possible to abuse a blank check. May we never abuse the blank check that Christ gives us here. But instead, may we use it responsibly. May we not ask for sinful things for ourselves, for others. But may we ask for those things which are according to your will, for our good, for our salvation, Lord. Lord, cause us to abide in you and then move in our hearts um, to persuade us to also apply ourselves to remaining in that love. Lord, we pray that through the power of your Spirit, you will produce an enduring joy in our lives that will be a fuel for faithfulness so that we would walk with you for a lifetime. And never fall away from you. Lord God, keep us in your joy. Keep us in your love, we pray. Amen.